There's a new detective in town. My name is Fina Mendoza. I moved to Washington, D.C. with my older sister, Gabby, because Papa works in the U.S. Capitol. He's a congressman. Me? I solve mysteries. Subscribe now to the Fina Mendoza Mysteries Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello there, Mick Sullivan coming to you from the Past and the Curious Central, where it's kind of stinky today, and also I'm kind of late, and you'll notice I'm kind of hoarse. I've been sick for like a month, you guys. So I'm glad I got this to you in the month of November by the skin of my teeth. Anyway, this is important. You like kid podcasts, right? I mean, you're listening to one right now. I assume you think this is a kid's podcast. I don't know. Some adults like it too. Well, we need your help. Kids Listen is a grassroots organization of kids casters just like us. And we're doing a survey of all of the kids cast fans in the world. It's really important. And this includes you. So please go to kidslisten.org to help out. By sharing your thoughts and ideas, you're going to help us improve your listening experience and make better stuff for your family. It doesn't take long, I promise, but it will make a world of difference, seriously. So please help out by going to kidslisten.org. On with the show, which, fair warning, uh, is kind of stinky. This show stinks. You know... It's probably a strange feeling to read a newspaper article about how you're dead. Especially when you're not dead. And John Wesley Powell was not dead. He might have been reckless or foolhardy, or bravely willing to risk his neck for the sake of knowledge, depending on how you look at it, but in any case, he was very much alive in 1869. However, someone had convinced people otherwise. Soon enough, the truth would become apparent to everyone. The man who had come forward and given this false story of the not-actually-departed Powell to a newspaper was a fraud just looking for attention. He claimed to be the only survivor of Powell's daring and trailblazing exploring expedition. He figured Powell and his party were never going to make it back from the Grand Canyon alive anyway. How could anyone? And if they never made it back from the dangerous trip, well, who would be around to prove him a liar? No one, that's who. He figured they'd all be long gone. Was he right? He was worse than right. He was wrong. It wasn't hard for people to believe that John Wesley Powell was dead. No American of European descent had ever successfully traveled by boat through the Grand Canyon. No one wanted to. It was way too dangerous. The never-ending twists and drops of river rapids and rocks would dash a boat to bits, and with it, anyone crazy enough to take the ride. But Powell wanted to. And he did. With one arm. John Wesley Powell was obviously brave, but he was also obsessed with learning about the Earth. It seems both of those traits came from his youth. Powell was born in New York State, but early in his life, his family bounced around from Ohio to Wisconsin to Illinois. His father was a minister and an outspoken abolitionist. This was the time before the Civil War, and slavery was still legal. As abolitionists, the Powell family joined the struggle to bring an end to the moral evil of slavery. But not everyone agreed with the family's extreme stance against slavery, and as a result, John Wesley Powell was bullied as a child. 
It got so bad that his parents decided to take him out of school and continue his education at home. This was sad to him, but sometimes great things come when you don't expect them. His parents hired a tutor, and this guy would change John's life. The teacher saw his natural curiosity and helped develop and instill a love of science. Before long, young John was traveling all over the Midwest to learn. He even once traveled alone on a boat for the entire 981 miles of the Ohio River. He was hoping to unlock the secrets of the earth. How old was it? What was it made of? What came before? He observed landforms, natural species, and collected specimens of minerals, stones, and soil to use for research and for his new job of teaching. But when the Civil War began, his teaching career would be put on hold. Powell felt duty-bound by his family's lifelong commitment to ending slavery, as well as a sense of allegiance to seeing that the country remained unified. So he was among the first to answer Abraham Lincoln's call for volunteers to fight for the North. And he quickly rose through the ranks because of his natural leadership and brilliant mind. He worked as an engineer and a cartographer, which was the important job of making maps. There are tales of Powell spending time in the fields digging through the mud and earth. When the soldiers would dig and move great amounts of soil to create earthworks, which are fortifications made of dirt, Powell could often be found collecting fossils and any other interesting specimen the men's work had uncovered. Despite the horrors of war, his curiosity remained. It was at the Battle of Shiloh in 1862 that Powell would lose most of his right arm. It was taken after being struck by a bullet as he gave a command to his troops. But this injury would do nothing to hold him back from adventures for the remainder of his life. By the time the war ended in 1865, he returned to teaching, taking a post as a professor in Illinois. But still, adventure called. The classroom was okay, but the great expanse of the West and the secrets it held could not let go of his mind. Above all, he believed the Grand Canyon would help him understand the geologic history of the American continent. But the Grand Canyon, which stretched 277 miles long, was no easy task to conquer. At points, the Colorado River had slowly carved a channel a mile deep into the stone landscape, and the results were craggy, treacherous walls that no one could climb, and a bubbling river filled with boulders and stones. It would be crazy to try it. Most people thought it was certain death. But Powell was undaunted. There were several reasons he felt he needed to go. Firstly, no one had ever mapped the river and the area the river carved out. To people back east, it may as well have been the moon. He was also fascinated by the landscape, which was slowly being targeted by Americans moving west. He wondered if the natural resources could support a community of people for long. But closest to his heart, he wanted to see the magnificent canyon through his geologist eyes. He felt that the canyon held secrets to the world's past. The exposed earth was cut from eons of the Colorado River, slowly carving deeper and deeper into the earth's crust, revealing clues about the things his scientific mind had often wondered. Fossils, stones, and minerals, all of which could help him piece together the mystery of the earth. Where to start? Well, he gathered a group of men, mostly former Union soldiers like himself, and he gathered supplies and food, mostly bacon and flour. 
and he gathered a few boats. These boats were big, heavy skiffs, such as those that might be used along the coast back east. When men set up to row a boat like this, they would sit with their backs to the bow or the front, so they couldn't even see where they were going or what was coming. In Powell's situation, this would make navigating the rapids of the Green and Colorado rivers nearly impossible, not to mention wildly dangerous. When he wasn't collecting specimens or furiously writing in his journals, Powell was leading the expedition from his perch in one of those boats. To keep his balance, a rope was tied to the floor, which he held in his only hand, and he would lean back, using his weight and the taut rope to keep his balance in the constant barrage of jumps and bumps of the river. On shore, he showed no fear as well, using two legs and an arm to scale the faces of innumerable cliffs to reach the prized samples and specimens and to make his detailed observations. But it didn't always go according to plan. One time, trapped on a narrow shelf on the immense stone wall, he found himself unable to move up or down safely. The next step was just out of reach. Now one of his men was above him, but no matter how they stretched, he could not reach Powell's hand. Worse still, he had no rope to send down to the expedition leader. With otherworldly understanding, the men looked at each other, gulped, and knew what had to be done. The soldier above him took off his top layer of clothes, which left him standing on the Grand Canyon cliff in only his undies for the entire world to see. Luckily for him, tourists would not show up in the area for another hundred years. But the legs of his pants were not long enough to reach Powell. So, he gulped a gulpier gulp, and then removed his long underwear. There he stood in his birthday suit. The dirty, long undies were dangled down the face of the rock to Powell, who grabbed hold with his only hand and was lifted to safety by his brave, naked friend. It was easily one of the most harrowing underwear rescues in recorded history. As you might imagine, the trip was long and difficult, but everyone who remained with Powell survived. Always curious and eager, Powell would return to complete the journey once again just a few years later. He was sure to bring plenty of rope that time. Powell knew more about the geology of the American continent than anyone in his lifetime, and he quickly realized that the American West lacked certain resources that might not sustain white settlers as people migrated towards the coast. He observed the way that Native Americans lived and realized that while it was sustainable, the march to the West by American citizens would compromise their way of life. He is roundly criticized today for his viewpoint on Native Americans, and rightfully so believing they were destined to be assimilated or otherwise removed from the continent and their ancestral lands taken from them. But Powell also petitioned the American government to limit the people moving west, particularly to California. Way back in the 1880s, he realized that there would not be enough water to sustain civilization, feed crops, and fight fires. The government did not heed his warnings. Insufficient water resources are a problem that Californians deal with still today. In 
Here comes Caitlin to tell us about a really, 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 really cool lady. Hello, my name is Caitlin. I live in Belcamp, Maryland. I think Anna Eleanor Roosevelt was important to history. She was a symbol of home to millions of homesick fighting men. On March 4th, 1933, Eleanor became the first lady of the land and she was married to Franklin, her cousin. She gave speeches and encouraged many. She was thoughtful, energetic, and ungainly. She spent her life striving to promote the cause of peace. Thanks, Caitlin. That was really, really great. I love Eleanor Roosevelt. So many great things about her to be enamored with. Um, If you have a 30 seconds, you have 30 seconds, uh, that's what we call them, then send them in to us. It's really easy. You just need to use a phone. So get with your parents and uh, winnow it down to 30 seconds worth of stuff about something really awesome from the past. We want to hear it. We've got some space. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. All right, you know what to do. One place in the world treats more wastewater than anywhere else in the world. Do you know where this gigantic wastewater treatment plant is? The Stickney Wastewater Treatment Plant in Chicago can process and clean at least 1.2 billion gallons of Illinois wastewater every day. If you're wondering what wastewater is, it's probably what you think it is. You know, what you flush down your toilet and what goes down your sink. So that's a lot of dirty water. But by 2023, the plant aims to be energy neutral, meaning that the energy required to run the plant will be equal to the energy that they create through turbines and harvesting um, natural gas from the sewer water. Question number two. What is the longest river in the world? People, including some very smart ones, argue about it all the time. Some say it's the Amazon, but most agree that the Nile in Africa is the longest river. It stretches over 4,258 miles and touches 11 countries on that continent. The disagreement about which one is longer stems from the question of how exactly you measure the length of a river, as it can be difficult to determine exactly where a river begins. Question number three. The grossest question. In 2017, a London sewer made news when it was clogged with what? Well, it was called a fatberg and it weighed over 250,000 pounds. This fatberg was a congealed mass of fat, grease, and other cooking leftovers mixed with wipes, diapers, and a whole bunch of other really gross stuff. It took weeks to remove the messy monster mass, but England used it as an opportunity to educate people about what you can and cannot flush down the toilet. You know, they call Paris the city of light, but at one time they could have called it the city of someone light a match because it stunk. That wasn't unusual. Most cities stunk at one time or another. I mean, it took people a long time to figure out how not to stink. But in the 1820s, Paris was big and growing in population every day. In terms of the city's sanitation, 
Little had changed since back in the Middle Ages. But every day, that ever-expanding population was making things stinkier and stinkier. As he was traveling to the city in 1827, one visitor wrote how he could smell Paris before he could actually see it. The mess filled his nose with unpleasant odors far outside the city limits. Now, it was a mess of a lot of things, but top of the list was poop. Animal poop, people poop, all kinds of poop. Oh, and there wasn't a lot of clean drinking water either, which was mostly a result of all of that poop. Unclean drinking water causes diseases like cholera, an illness that would wreak havoc on the people not just in Paris, but cities around the world. Cholera gives people diarrhea, which in turn worked its way back to the water supply, carrying the disease with it, where it would probably infect someone else. It was an endless cycle of gross. People knew that some changes had to be made, but scientists still didn't understand that diseases like this were caused by tiny microscopic things that were probably swimming around in the water that they were drinking. Many still believed in something called the miasma theory. Now this hypothesized that people were getting sick from stagnant, noxious, or bad air. Were they right? Oh, they were worse than right. They were wrong. That's not to say that people thought having human waste around was a good thing. They made plenty of effort to get it out of their homes. But once it was out of their homes, it became much less of a concern to individuals. Some people would empty their chamber pots out the window in the morning. If you don't know, a chamber pot is basically a portable toilet. It doesn't flush though, it really is just a bowl for your bowels. A bowel bowl, perhaps. Now you'd have to empty this bowel bowl, or chamber pot, pretty regularly. If you lived in a crowded part of the city, you might just dump it out the window and let the rain and gutters carry it away, eventually. Hopefully no one was walking below you at the very moment you decided to rid yourself of it a second time. Once it was languishing, stinky in the gutters, the rain would eventually wash it away and it would probably wind up emptying into the river. Now this was the same river that many people used to bathe, swim, and yes, drink. You see the problem. Oh, not all of the waste wound up in the river though. Some of it wound up in the countryside as fertilizer. But before it made it there, some people had the very gross job of coming to get it. These people were called nightmen. They were called nightmen because they came in the night when everyone was asleep. So they wouldn't bother any neighbors with the incredible terrible smells they always seemed to kick up. You see, it was their job to collect all of the night soil, which is a very funny way to say poop but that's how it was known at the time. Each day, night soil would be emptied from chamber pots into a stone-lined hole into the ground called a cesspool. When the night soil became too plentiful and the hole was getting full, these fellas, who were at least pretty well paid, would come and get it out. Lucky ones had a long-handled dipper for scooping. Unlucky ones had to hop down into the hole with a bucket while a slightly luckier guy stayed at the top and would haul up bucket after bucket of night soil. They'd fill up barrels with this night soil and cart them off to farmers in need of fertilizer. It was actually a pretty good business for many years. But the world was modernizing, and President Napoleon III of France knew it. This Napoleon was the nephew of the other, more famous Napoleon, the former Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte. 
Napoleon III was the very first president of France. You see, France had had a lot of revolutions, and after a revolution toppled King Louis-Philippe, Napoleon III was elected. But despite being the first president, he would also be the last king of France. Now, if you think about it, that might seem strange. But, long story short, after his presidential term was over, he decided he didn't really want to go. So instead of stepping down as an elected president, he just declared himself king instead. And he would remain in the position for almost 20 years. It was the last time that France had a king, and after him, only elected presidents would sit in power. Despite his unwillingness to step down from the presidency, he was willing to step down into the few worthless and crumbling sewers that Paris used at the time. They were ineffective. Knowing how bad the city's waste problems were, he made it his mission to update Paris's infrastructure. He hired a city planner named Houseman to build boulevards and parks above ground and an elaborate sewer system beneath that would be the envy of the world. On a visit to the French countryside, Houseman noticed a beautiful fountain in the center of town from which the citizens drew their clean drinking water. Whoever built it must have been a very intelligent engineer who had to have understood geology, hydrodynamics, and the benefits of clean water. With no major water source nearby, getting clean water to the people was a monumental feat. The fountain's creator was soon hired to join Houseman in creating the new sewer systems in Paris, which would bring clean water to the people and safely send away water polluted with, among other things, night soil. His name was Eugène Belgrand, and soon Eugène was scouring France for a source of clean water. Even if the city council didn't believe that dirty water from the nearby Seine River was a health hazard, he had a strong hunch that it was. Luckily, his boss, Houseman, agreed that night soil and drinking water shouldn't mix. He found a spring that would supply the water he needed, and then he worked to build 81 miles of aqueducts to Paris. This practice was the same way that ancient Romans moved water, and it used nothing more than gravity to transport the water supply. Later, at work in the city, he designed sewers that mimicked the streets above. Conveniently, the streets were being torn up and rebuilt by housemen, so it seemed like a good time for his partner, Belgrand, to build underground tunnels for the sewer systems. If you visit Paris today, it is said the sewers are like an underground city, with high arched stone ceilings and even corresponding street signs that match the streets up above your head. It took years of planning, engineering, gathering materials, and of course, back-breaking manual labor, but before the end of Napoleon III's presidency-turned-monarchy, Paris could boast what was likely the most marvelous, most modern, and most elaborate system of sewers in the world. Clean water would be available to more and more people, and for the first time, numerous homes would have running water. Clean water right from a faucet! It was a radical change from river water. Chamber pots would slowly fade into obscurity, Nightmen would find new, less gross work, and their business of night soil collection would eventually just be a job that kids listening to podcasts would learn about and be happy that they would never have to do. If you are a regular listener of The Past and the Curious, you know how much we love anything related to World's Fairs. 
These were huge expositions dedicated to technological development and cultural achievement that rotated around the Americas and Europe for quite some time. They attracted millions of visitors and showcased the latest and greatest of human achievement, from the telephone to the ice cream cone. In 1889, Paris held a very famous World's Fair, which gave people their first glimpse of a gigantic icon that is now a symbol for Paris. The Eiffel Tower was built in honor of that event. This wasn't the only World's Fair Paris would hold. 22 years before that, World's Fair attendees looked not towards the skies high above their head, but they actually looked down and traveled beneath the Earth's surface instead. This World's Fair, known as the Universal Exposition, was held in 1867, and Napoleon III was eager to show off his new modern city. And he knew the work that Hausmann and Belgrand had done would spark admiration from any who saw it. So, as part of the exposition, people took a tour they might never have imagined. A sewer tour. Ladies dressed in their finest, men in suits, and children on their best behavior all piled onto canal boats floating in the sewer waters of Paris. It was like a gondola tour in Venice, Italy, except instead of a gondolier paddling and pushing with his or her strength, the boats were pulled by steam engine, and instead of scenic, beautiful Venice, it was the underground Parisian passageways for water, and who knows what else. The dark sewer tunnels were lit, and the crowds lined up all day long to ooh and ah at something that we probably take for granted today. It was an absolute marvel at the time, perhaps more astounding than the Eiffel Tower that would come years later. And the Eiffel Tower didn't do anything to help people stay healthy. Now a good sewer system will do that for you. Despite the closing of the World's Fair, the sewer tours continued for decades, well into the 1900s. Sadly, you cannot take a sewer boat in Paris today. But they do have a sewer museum, which, as we hope you may have learned, is way more interesting than it might sound. Thank you all so much for listening. I have a lot of people to thank on Patreon this month, which is super awesome. Uh, Lauren and Tyler of Yorktown, Virginia, congratulations. You live in one of my favorite places in the world, and I'm so awesomely excited to know that there are people listening to the show in Yorktown, Virginia. I love it. Um, Emmett and Owen, yes. Thank you, guys. It's really awesome. I hope you enjoy hearing your names on there. I also need to thank Thomas, Nicholas, Beatrice, and James from right here in my home state of Kentucky. By the way, I was also at the Lexington Book Fair a couple weeks ago, and I met two listeners. It was so awesome. Hello to the two of you. Great to see you. And last but not least, I need to thank Nadine out in California. This is a shout out to you, Nadine, Nadine, Nadine. Nadine, 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 Nadine. Many thanks, my friend. And last but not least, I have a song. It's a Patreon song of gratitude. But don't worry, guys. She's my sister, so I can talk about her stinky baby. Lisa and Bobby, Michael and Remy. You've got a puppy. You got a baby. So now everything is stinky. Stinky.
puppy You've got a baby So every Everything is very stinky At work, at home, or on the road, you deserve great coffee. A Heine Brothers coffee subscription plan gives you top quality organic and fair trade coffee delivered right to your door or office automatically. You select the frequency, the quantity, and the variety of coffee, and Heine Brothers will take care of the rest. Shipping included. Also makes a great gift, so order online at HeineBrosCoffee.com. That's H-E-I-N-E-B-R-O-S-C-O-F-F-E-E.com forward slash subscription and use the offer code THEPAST for $5 off any gift subscription.